0: Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome once again here in Drive Time Show. You're listening to Aniku Rahman and I'm joined by Dr. Tariq Bajwa here of London Studio of Voice of Islam. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you.
1: alaikum, peace be on you and all our listeners. Thank
0: you very much. Today uh, we'll be discussing uh, another topic as we do as part of our routine. Every week we come up with the new topics. And discuss and have a deep understanding of those issues, or to get some more knowledge about something going on in the world. so today we have chosen a very interesting topic, which is destruction of natural resources, and especially we'll be discussing about Amazon that uh, how uh, things are happening there and what uh, we will be learning, and we'll be having some guests who will be going through and giving us insight regarding the Amazon, what are the, what are the issues or the drought is, is going on in, uh, in, in uh, Amazon. Before going into the topic, we would like to share the number where you can call us on 0208-687-7878. And you can share your views on it if you want to add something, if you want to ask anything. Please do give us a call and we will be taking you on air and you can tweet at Voice of Islam uk and visit our website www.voiceofislam.co.uk i would repeat the number once again it's 0208 687 7878 as i mentioned that today we draw into a topic that has been cause for global concern the relentless destruction of our natural resources from deforestation to climate change the earth delicate ecosystems are under siege and one of the most pressing issues on the horizon is the alarming Amazon drought. The Amazon rainforest often referred to as the lungs of the earth plays a pivotal role in regulating the planet's climate and supporting an incredible area of biodiversity. However, it faces an unprecedented threat due to extensive deforestation, climate change and human activities and over past few years, the Amazon Basin has ex- experienced severe droughts disturbing or you know, disrupting its e- e- ecological balance. The Katsurov has far-reaching consequences impacting not only the local communities and wildlife but also rever- reverberating across the globe affecting weather patterns and exacerbating climate change. Today, our focus is primary on this critical issue, examining the cause and potential solution to combat the Amazon drought. We'll delve into the interactive web of factors contributing to this crisis, from the effect of global warning to the direct human intervention that have accelerated the forest vulnerability. As you tune into the program continuously, Ponder the significance of why nurturing the earth holds such importance. When we read the Holy Quran, Allah the Almighty states in the Holy Quran, "And He it is who gave you life; then He will cause you to die; then He will give you life again." Surely, man is most ungrateful. We need to understand that Allah the Almighty has provided this forest, something we think is just Amazon, it's just the you know some trees are there. Even though, as I mentioned in the beginning. The Amazon is the lungs of the earth, and it has impact on our environment and the climate change. So it is very important to discuss this, and for this we will be having some guests who will be speaking on this topic and give us some more insight that what's going on and how we can overcome it. Over to you, uh, Dr. Tariq what, what do you say uh, regarding... So, particularly uh, we drought. are
1: going to speak today about the Amazon drought, how and um, why we are uh, facing the drought in the mm-hmm. Amazon. Amazon is supposed to be a, a rainforest and a huge rainforest. In fact, it's called the lungs of the earth because it breathes through, the earth breathes through that. It's uh, such a huge um, rainforest and the trees, of course, they help uh, with the um, uh, environment and that's why you know if, if it is being affected and it is suffering from drought then we have to look into what are the causes what are the factors how we can improve how can we can, we prevent things happening like that so just giving you an example in in marayo is a brazilian island the canetico river's fluctuation Signifies the changing seasons for local communities. When rainfall is abundant, the river rises by several meters, reaching the wooden houses built on stilts along its banks. Now, the inhabitants heavily depend on this water source for their daily needs, like drinking, cooking, cleaning. Um, so, all the uh, basically they're dependent on this water. However, during the summer season, the Connecticut River significantly reduces to mere stream. Usually the limited flow adequately caters to the necessities of the local population. Nevertheless, in 2023, a harsh drought had affected extensive uh, parts of Amazon rainforest in Brazil. Um, Consequently, what used to be the Connecticut River is now reduced to a dark bacteria-laden trickle nearly dried up in certain regions. The livelihoods of hundreds of thousands hinge on the Amazon's waterways for sustenance, travel, and earnings. However, the unprecedentedly unprecedentedly low water levels have compelled locals to reconsider their connection with nature. Specifically, the Rio Negro, a significant tributary, has descended to its lowest levels in 121 years. And The primary food source for residents, of course, is the fish, which faces a grave threat as the river diminishes, leaving some fish stranded, while others perish and float to the surface in the remaining water. The unusual surge in temperatures is believed to be the cause of this widespread fish die-off. Locals are apprehensive that the decomposing fish uh, carcasses might contaminate the water Brazil has experienced nine heat waves since the year began with Rio de Janeiro, registering a heat index of nearly 60 degrees Celsius. That's correct. Yeah. Its 140 degrees Fahrenheit in November. So globally, 2023 uh, was anticipated to be the recorded as the hottest year in history.
0: I understand we have our first guest.
1: Well, let's speak to
0: him first. Yes, we have our first guest, Christian Perrier. Christian is a senior member of Amazon Watch team having coordinated with uh, brazil program since 2009 christian helped lead international solidarity campaigns to halt the construction of large amazon dams and to call on the global private sector to cease its complicity in environmental destruction and human rights abuse in the amazon we welcome christian on the show assalamu alaikum peace be upon you thank you much for joining us today
2: alaikum salam. it's a pleasure to be here
0: Thank you once again. To, to start off, uh, Christian, uh, could you give the overview introduction of your work, what, you, what you're doing nowadays, or what you have done in your life?
2: Sure. Um, well, I'm Program Director at Amazon Watch. I've been at the organization for about 14 years. Mm-hmm. And during that time, as you mentioned in my introduction, I've worked primarily in Brazil, but now I oversee our programs uh, across the Amazon. Amazon Watch works uh, it's been working for about 27 years. We're a U.S.-based organization based in California that works alongside indigenous peoples who are struggling to defend their territories from a range of threats. Uh, these threats could be coming from uh, oil companies. They'd be coming from agribusiness companies, the construction of large infrastructure projects like dams, as you mentioned, um, and also from governments, as we saw most recently, especially in Brazil under the, the regime of Jair Bolsonaro, which targeted indigenous peoples. Um, alongside the Brazil's agribusiness and mining sector, I'm sorry, the country's agribusiness and mining sector, uh, because indigenous territories are the best preserved indigenous uh, territories in the Amazon. They contain vast uh, wealth as a result. Uh, so we're an organization that believes that solidarity, international solidarity with the indigenous movement in Brazil and Peru and Colombia and Ecuador, which are the countries in which we work, um, is fundamental to not only defending the, the human rights of indigenous peoples and local communities, but also to keeping the Amazon standing for our collective benefit.
0: Mm, great. So uh, could you provide our listener with an overview of current Amazon drought situation, including the you know, key factor contributing to it and its border implications?
2: Absolutely. Uh, well, as you mentioned in your introduction, there are grave impacts that have been accruing in the Amazon as a result of what is considered the worst drought in the history Mm -hmm. of the Amazon. Um, 2023 saw the worst drought, whereas a previous um, drought that um, was almost as bad took place in 2015, 2016. Um, This, this severe uh, climatological phenomena are, um, accruing in the Amazon at a pace that even scientists are, are, don't understand and um, drives um, serious concern about the, the fate of the forest, um, the future of the forest. And we all rely on the Amazon for global climate stability. So if the forest um, is not able to continue as it stands, um, as a major um, sink of the carbon that we generate, uh, we are all in serious trouble. Um, right now, what we're looking at is, um, the lessening of the severe drought uh, situation in the Amazon as rains have returned to the region. However, there, as the year began, um, all of the 62 cities in Amazonas state, which is the most hit, hard hit by the drought, um, began the year in a situation of, of emergency. There are about...
0: So moving back uh, to the topic, as we were hearing, Kishin, he was discussing how much, uh, what's going on with the drought, and how how is affecting the, the people or you know forest, and how important is the you know the the drought for us to for, for us uh, to have a better environment for for the climate. So if we go back uh, to the topic, you know, uh, usually you look at the causes. causes. We're, we're looking at the causes of the the drought. I think Christian is back. Hi ah, okay, so you are you back with it? Okay. Yes, I'm sorry about that. But that's like okay. Paul that's Droth. okay. That's fine. You can carry um, on, I'm not history. sure where,
2: where I lost uh, connectivity, so, but what I was saying at the end of my um, uh, what I was saying was was that uh, there's a recently been a, a report saying that the rains will only return back to normal in February 2024. Um, I believe your, your question sent also centered on what is driving this situation, mm-hmm. right? And um, there, this is being driven in large part by the phenomenon known as El Nino. El Nino is a phenomenon that occurs in the Pacific Ocean um, off the northern part, the northwestern part of um, South America primarily, that drives up ocean temperatures. And as a result of driving up ocean temperatures, uh, it deprives uh, the Amazon, in this case, of uh, crucial moisture and, and weather patterns that would normally be driving a lot of rainfall. So El Nino was responsible also in 2015-2016 for another mega drought in the Amazon. Um, but it's not just El Nino this year. It's also what's taking place on the other side of South America, in the northern Atlantic, known as the Atlantic Dipole, where you have hot water um, in, in the Atlantic, in the northern part, and cold water in the south. And that's driving a process where the Amazon is essentially pent in on both sides by hot, dry air. That means that there is not the standard um, climactic situation where there's much, a lot of moisture that's being driven to this region. Because the Amazon creates much of its own rainfall. Uh, and what we're seeing here is what many kinds of scientists have been talking about for, for years especially since 2018, when the topic of the Amazon tipping point first reached kind of more popular understanding, the Amazon tipping point was a theory that if uh, enough deforestation accrues uh, across the Amazon, deforestation and land degradation, that the forest will no longer be able to create its own weather, no longer be able to create its own rainfall. And this will cause a process, a tipping point of um, dieback of the forest, wherein huge regions of the forest will become Uh, essentially um, degraded savannah. That's a process that that could already be started in the eastern Brazilian Amazon, where um, deforestation is quite acute. And we're very concerned that that process could also be underway in the western um, Brazilian Amazon, which is much better preserved. That's what was most hit by uh, drought uh, last year and and continuing into this year. Mm
0: -hmm. So if we discuss about the communities living in the Amazon, and you know, how they are affected by the drought and what are the immediate and long-term consequences for their la- livelihood?
2: Yes, I, I heard you speak a bit about the die-off of fish. I and mean, that's a, a critical issue mm. for local communities. Um, fish comprises the backbone of local food security, and it's also a very important economic activity, fishing and selling fish in local cities. So the loss of fish... Um, as well as hundreds, the death of hundreds of of river dolphins shows that there's much precarity in the Amazon's rivers. Um, So that's one of the the most serious impacts, the impacts to food security and to the economy as a result of the loss of of massive amounts of of fish in the region. Um, Because the the water has has heated up so significantly and many of the, what would normally be lakes and rivers have dried up or become isolated. Local communities, as a result, have also become isolated. Many, many villages that are more remote, that rely on the rivers for transport, have been cut off from the outside world. Mm. That means that their economy, be it fishing, be it growing um, crops for sale in local towns, have also been cut off. They've also been deprived of water, right? These these rivers are not only forms of of movement and, and fishing, for example, but they also serve as the basis for water security in communities that they rely on the, the water for drinking, for bathing, um, for, uh, well, basically everything, everything that we rely on water for them in, in the cities they rely on the rivers for the same service. And when the rivers are polluted and when the rivers are drying up, they're deprived of this critical uh, resource. So there's been a loss of, of, of water security in these communities. Hmm. There's also been an impact um, through this isolation on, uh, education, for, especially for young folks in these communities that rely also on the rivers to move to some larger villages and towns to, to get an education to go to school. Many communities that were isolated meant the kids there were no longer able to to go to school and, and receive their education. Um, and as a final thing I'll say is that one of the other forces, the sources of income in the region um, is ecotourism. And you can imagine ecotourism suffered tremendously. Um, when the Amazon drought came because, well, simply the tourists couldn't come to communities that rely, some of those communities rely, 70% of their local economies rely on tourism um, for for their well-being. And this was completely severed as a result of um, the Amazon drought. As we work with indigenous peoples, we've also looked at how the drought um, has affected them specifically. Um, Many of the things I've already mentioned that happened to um, local communities that have been cut off have also been severely uh, impacting indigenous people. Um, And I should mention as well that with the drought came the explosion of illegal wildfires. I shouldn't even call them wildfires. This is arson. People burning the forest, taking advantage of this dry forest to clear vast swaths for um, cattle ranching. Uh, primarily, and what happened, of course, is that the air filled with smoke. Um, people can't breathe the air; they can't drink the water from the rivers. It, it was an extremely uh, critical moment for for communities that are already living, um, often in, in situations of poverty.
0: Indeed, I think it's a very critical situation right now. So, uh, to what extent is climate change contributing to the increased frequency and you know severity of droughts in the Amazon, and how does this connect to the broader global climate crisis?
2: Yeah, that's a very important point you raised. Because I, I mentioned earlier, what's driving the Amazon route um, is the phenomena of El Nino, which is not well understood by science, why El Nino um, uh, occurs as it does, and occurring with more frequency, and also the, the Atlantic um, dipole. What we can say with some certainty is that El Nino and other phenomena that I'm mentioning here are becoming aggravated by the climate crisis.
3: They could be said
2: to be aspects of runaway climate. Um, we're seeing that last year was the hottest year in recorded history, um, you know, in human history. Uh, and this is, uh, of course, terrifying on a whole number of levels. Um, and if we're headed towards a future where we rise um, to two, two and a half uh, centigrade over pre-industrial levels, the impacts on price like the Amazon would be um, terrible and um, irreversible. Um, so, what we, what we can definitely say <clears throat> is that these phenomena that have existed for many years um, are not well understood, are definitely understood to be driven, uh, you know, worsened by, um, by climate change. You know, all, today about half of uh, the 8 billion people on, on the planet are suffering from water shortage. Um, and this is definitely a reality for those in the Amazon. You don't expect that in the place it's a rainforest. You expect it to be humid, to have flowing rivers. But 15,000 peoples who are based in communities, um, in riverine and indigenous communities in the Amazon, are completely cut off still to this day, who have very um, serious water security issues. Um, so these are issues that um, are certainly driven by, by climate change, as is this issue, this serious um, threat that with the Amazon faces of a tipping point of um, a negative feedback loop, where we could it could basically cease to become what it it is today, which is a global climate sink, um, uh-huh. or I'm sorry, a global carbon sink, um, a driver of global weather patterns that we all benefit from, um, and basically one of the most important biomes in staking off the climate crisis that is itself. Uh, driving the phenomenon like the Amazon drought,
0: mm, right? So, I think one of the important things is to is the water management strategies. So, are there uh, any being implemented in the Amazon region to mitigate the effects of drought? And how can these strategies can be scaled up or you know replicated?
2: Yes, and indeed, there are some success stories we um, can mm. speak to. And there are also um, what are, I would say concerning uh, government response to what took place um, last year when, when the drought was most critical. Uh, what we see is that Brazil has good legislation in place to adapt to climate change. Um, in fact, Brazil has very good environmental policy, except it's not always applied. Sometimes it's completely ignored. Um, And that's a a serious concern, especially a concern under um, the Bolsonaro regime. And and the Lula government is trying to bring back um, Brazil's environmental governance. So what we saw is that there were scattershot emergency um, measures put into place to help communities um, adapt and mitigate um, drought uh, situation in their region. Um, What really needs to happen and what we've seen in some places is that um, there are Effective strategies to uh, prepare communities for these sorts of um, horrific climate um, phenomena. Um, Some of these involve placing cisterns, water systems in communities that can capture water, wells. Um, And also, which lesser understood, is that communities need clean energy. They need solar power. They need to have the ability to, if you're going to have a well, you need to have a motor. The motor needs to draw water up from underground, and these communities require um, energy installations because they're completely off the energy grid, and what they rely on generally are are, um, generators that are fueled by diesel, um, which is not, uh, it's entirely polluting, noisy, and, and not sustainable at all, very costly for communities. If you were going to prepare communities for the future, which is unfortunately, we can see this phenomenon occurring far more in the future, we need to prepare them with the right sort of equipment and the policies that would allow this to happen, that will allow for um, better water storage, um, better um, energy security, and communication. Imagine communities that have secure internet connections that are um, connected to their solar panels that they don't cut out, and these communities that are cut off, this will happen again. Hmm. They can have school remotely right? This, the communities will no longer have to have their kids completely deprived of, of education in these moments. We also need to see the empowerment of local community leaders who understand the needs of communities. These community leaders need to be the ones who are driving policy, not the other way around, not top-down policy from the, the, the state or federal level. We need to see policy driven from the local level. Um, and this is often also the responsibility of indigenous peoples. You know, indigenous territories in the Amazon and other protected areas are responsible for 58% of the, of the Amazon carbon sink capacity. We need to listen to these communities that are basically are carrying out a service and keeping their forest standing that benefit all of humanity. They need to be the ones who are first in line um, in, in determining policies so that, so that they're not so gravely impacted in, in the future. Um, but unfortunately, even with all these measures in place, the vulnerability of these of these communities will continue to be quite acute. Um, and there are certain things that we cannot um, mitigate for, like the sort of isolation, like the fact that you know the rivers will no longer will cease to be the roads that they are that allow for for, for transport. Um, Those such critical um, uh, forms of transport for communities. If, if again uh, the water levels drops the levels
0: it did last year. Mm. Uh, Yeah, I think very critical situation and great work you're doing. Uh, Thank you very much for joining us today. And I hope our listeners have a better understanding now what's going on in Amazon uh, for us. So thank you once again for joining us. It was a pleasure speaking with you and have a nice evening.
2: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on your show.
0: So um, we're talking about the
1: causes of uh, Amazon drought. And we've gone to um, our our. Guest Christian um, was uh, letting us know about, you know, what are the problems we are facing that is leading to the increased incidence of um, drought, uh, in particularly in the Amazon area. So the climate experts, um, and one of the climate ex- experts we will, will be speaking to. Um, very soon, uh, I think he's one of our, our on our list to speak to. Um, so the, these climate experts, they attribute the escalating temperatures and extreme weather patterns to climate change, primarily caused by the combustion of fossil fuels. Uh, last year's exceptionally potent uh, um, El Nino phenomena, which uh, I think our guest spoke about as well, which heats the equatorial Pacific waters, has significantly contributed to the severe drought in the Amazon. However, in the progression toward drier conditions, has been evident for some time. Prior harsh summers prompted many residents of Serafina to dig backyard wells to access grain, uh, groundwater instead of relying solely on the river. Hydroelectric dams, particularly those on the Madeira River, contribute to the drought situation primarily through the decay of organic material in the reservoirs, releasing methane, which is a powerful greenhouse gas, into the air. Furthermore, the deforestation linked to dam construction and the disruption of aquatic and land ecosystems can escalate the emission of carbon dioxide and other pollutants, intensifying the overall impact of hydroelectric dams on climate change. Moreover, the building and functioning of hydroelectric dams in the Amazon frequently necessitates clearing substantial forested areas for dam construction and related facilities. Um, this defore- deforestation diminishes um, evapotranspiration, a vital mechanism for water equilibrium in the area. So the, these are the, some of some of the causes and I think we'll,
0: uh, we'll speak to our next guest um, I think who is uh, online now? Yes, now we have our uh, second guest, Jose Marengo. I welcome uh, the guest on the show, uh, who is the climatologist, general coordinator for research and development, Camadan, and work on Amazon issues for more than 25 years. I welcome you in the show. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. And thank you much for joining us today.
3: Thank you very much for the invitation.
0: To start off, uh, uh, could you please give an overview, an introduction of work you do?
3: Yes, I'm a climatologist. I work currently with disaster risk reduction, basically with extremes in weather and climate that produce natural disasters. But uh, I still do the work I started almost uh, 25 years ago. Uh, Working with the Amazon, uh, the water cycle, climate anomalies, El Nino, and currently some models with deforestation to see uh, what could happen with the Amazon or could happen with the world's climate as a consequence of increasing deforestation, for instance.
0: Okay, thank you very much. So, how are you, uh, you know, ongoing droughts affecting both human communities and the diverse ecosystem? in the Amazon, and what are the immediate and long-term consequences?
3: Well, actually, what we have now uh, started in last year, in September 2010, which is the austral spring. Usually, September, October, November is the pre-rainy season, so it's the beginning of the rainy season. And this particular drought, we have noticed, for instance, that the driest part has been the pre-rainy season. So, because usually with other drought events in the past, like in 82, 83, 1978, usually we have the peak of the drought during the wet season, which is more like our austral summer, December, January, February. But we already started the hydrological year 23, 24 with a very, very dry season, you see. And that's the reason why the, the levels of the rivers went down. And in the Amazon, we don't have highways. We have basically waterways. And many of the population, for instance, particularly the ones living along the banks of the rivers, were isolated because they couldn't take the rivers. The rivers were very, very low, and they of course they brought problems with the economy. Manaus is a free trade zone. and Many of the electronic products produced by Brazil are from Manaus, and the only way that they can get out of analysis because of the big volume is through the Rio Negro and the Amazon River. And last year, at this December, the rivers were really very low. So this complicated the transportation, making the price higher for food also, and people were isolated. So really, uh, the impacts are still going on because the rainy season is not over yet. But there has been a lot of impacts. Uh, hard to say in terms of ec- economical. But other of the impact we have is in the ecosystem, because with the dry conditions, higher temperatures, as it has been the case, we have basically a, a large of wildfires, a very, very high numbers of wildfires, not only in the Brazilian Amazon, but also in Peru and Bolivia, and even in northern Paraguay, which is another ecosystem. But it has been, I would say, one particular example of one drought that, is different from other droughts that it happens during a Niño year that started during the, wetest, the warmest year in history, which is 2023.
0: Mm. Indeed, uh, you know, critical situations right now. So, if we discuss beyond the environmental concerns, what economic impact do droughts in the Amazon have on industries such as agriculture, fisheries, and, and tourism? Well, uh, this is
3: These losses are still under study because, like I said, the rainy season is not over yet. But what we have, one of the main effects is in the transportation because, like I said, I mean, the rivers Mm -hmm. are the buses, the highways in the Amazon. Um, Only small boats would be able to move because the rivers were really very, very shallow. You see, and the same thing as I mentioned with the transportation of goods, with uh, the Manaus free trade zone, most of the electronics. Actually, couldn't make it to, the, to make the big ports, or if they did, they have to pay an, uh, an another rate, uh, more expensive, because they have to to use special boats, and mm-hmm. this time bring less value. So it, it's a lot of economical problems. Like I said, it's still under evolution, under study. But uh, there have been, yes, a lot of uh, impacts on the population, particularly the population living along, along the rivers, because they became isolated together with indigenous communities also.
0: Mm. Uh, you're very much right. So considering the global significance of the Amazon, how do droughts in the region reverberate on the global scale affecting climate patterns and uh, ecosystems beyond South America?
3: Yes, I mean, the the Amazon is one of the, I would say, the climate regulators around the world, together with the other tropical forests in Africa and Southeast Asia. So with this drought situation, as it happens in previous droughts, like 2015-16, that were also during El Nino years, the risk of fire is very high. So the number of hectares under fire is quite, quite high, you see? perhaps Mm -hmm. higher than in twenty two other years. And each time we have a fire we have a release of greenhouse gases releases aerosols. So if we're trying to cut the emissions of greenhouse gases, for instance, with this fire we are doing instead we are putting more greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. You see, and that obscures because of the circulation, uh they will have impacts in the carbon balance around the world. And we will see we are going against what was decided in the Paris Agreement in 2015. Mm. The idea was to reduce. But this is a natural phenomenon which has been amplified by global warming. So I could say that uh, we are going really to have major problems in climate extremes, not only in the Amazon, because in the Amazon it's a regulator for climate in other regions. Uh, outside the Amazon, like uh, the la Plata River Basin, where we have the most important hydroelectric dams in South America. Mm.
0: Right. So given the uh, transboundary nature of the Amazon, how important do you think is international collaboration in addressing droughts and preserving the health of the rainforest?
3: Yeah, well, as you know, the Amazon is, is um, what we call the Pan-Amazon, mm. which is basically a South American uh, domain. And we, together, through this, scientific panel of Amazon, SPA, that was created in 2020, and we have been working together similar to IPCC, does, but this was more like uh Amazonian IPCC for uh, Amazon countries, with the participation of scientists from the Amazon countries and also scientists from Europe, United States, and many from the United Kingdom. It was the idea to study the hydrology of the Amazon, the climate of the Amazon, the, uh, what's The system, what's this, what we call the flying rivers, the moisture that comes from the Amazon and goes crossing the high, the boundaries and going to the La Plata Basin, for instance. It's extremely important. And through international collaboration, we know more on the Amazon, like I started to start working with this 25, 30 years ago. And I would say that international collaboration is key to do this kind of studies. We know more about the Amazon as in the past because of particularly international and inter-Amazonian collaboration.
0: Indeed, you're very much right. Uh, Thank you very much, um, Jose Marengo, for joining us today. I hope uh, our listeners have had a more understanding now what's going on in the Amazon forest. It was a pleasure speaking with you, and have a nice evening.
3: Okay, thank you very much, and good
0: night. Good night. So you were listening to Jose Marengo, who was... uh, Climatologist, general coordinator for research and development at Camadon, and had a work experience more than twenty-five years in uh, on Amazon issues, and he has discussed primarily how difficult it is the situation right now, and even though because people are you know the main system of transportation are rivers, and they are facing drought, and because there is so much going on, this is the critical situation right now over there. So moving on uh, to our next guest, we have our next guest with us. Uh, I welcome <clears throat> Dilania Granato
1: Di Souza.
0: Daniela Granato de Souza. I welcome uh, in the show. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. Thank you much for joining us today. Hi,
4: thank you for having me.
0: To start off, Daniela, could you please give us an overview, an introduction of your work, what you do?
4: Okay, so I'm a I'm a forest ecologist and I specialize in dendrochronology mm-hmm. and I work uh, mainly in the Amazon basin. So it's uh, building tree ring chronologies from native trees uh, to the Amazon and trying. We are trying to reconstruct past uh, rainfall.
0: Very much right. So in addition, uh, as we are discussing today, the topic uh, Amazon drought. So. In addition uh, to droughts, the Amazon has experienced extreme weather events. How do events like floods and wildfires interact with drought conditions, and what challenges do they pose for con- you know conversation of efforts?
4: So we, have, we usually have these uh, droughts and floods events, but what we are seeing now is that they are becoming more extreme uh but uh of course, when we have dry years uh they're more, it's more likely we'll have wildfires and uh they're not likely to happen actually, but we have wildfires right now because oh, the droughts are like worsening uh we have more people living uh around the forest and um because you know we have this human interference so um deforestation is something that also uh, worsens this whole scenario so it's i think it's the main thing in amazon is deforestation and uh so where we are right now is like we have these extremes and uh, but we have a natural component of them and this is what we have to uh understand and we're using tree rings uh, to try to understand how they to be in the past and you know, putting these ones that we are having today into a perspective. Uh the challenges uh are like uh well we have more people uh living in the Amazon. Uh how how are we going to stop deforestation? And this is always the question. Um uh, and <laughs> I kind of don't have the answer for that. It's uh um I'm not sure if uh, I answered to your last question. Can you please repeat that?
1: So, Daniela, how does deforestation in the Amazon contribute to the susceptibility of the region to droughts, and what strategies can be employed to address deforestation and its consequences?
4: So, the forest is a huge component of the hydrologic cycle in the Amazon. If we remove the forest, we will uh, reduce the amount of moisture that will return to the atmosphere and, you know, contribute to all the the rainfall and uh, not only to the Amazon, but also to other parts of uh, South America, like the Central uh, South America and other parts where we have agriculture and people living, people that rely on this rainfall, uh, this moisture coming from the Amazon. So deforestation uh, is for sure. I think the biggest problem in the Amazon. Uh, you said you asked me about how do we stop it. Is it right?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's the major concern, basically.
4: Uh, I think. Well, I I well, the Amazon is huge, so it's really a problem and i am not sure if uh they can fix that so easy but working uh with uh sustainable sustainable activities in the amazon would help because so then people would uh be able to use uh non-wood products and other yeah activities that w- wouldn't rely on logging and uh cutting the forest down But it's a huge pressure from the the economic uh, activities like agriculture and cattle and all that. So this is the main challenge in the Amazon right now. And I really don't have the answer of how are we going to stop it.
1: Yeah, Obviously, everybody is thinking about that. What uh, strategies are being considered or implemented to mitigate the effects of droughts in the Amazon and how... Can communities adapt to these changing environmental conditions?
4: I think right now we're still trying to understand these events. Uh, doing science is thing that I know the government has been helping and uh, putting uh, financing projects. And so understanding what's happening, this is uh, where we are because we have a lot that we have to learn from the Amazon. We we still don't know, and uh, one thing for sure is how how drastic these events are right now and how unprecedented they are. So, because we know that they used to happen in the past, so uh, learning the history and uh, the natural range of variability is super important. But I think right now it's doing science and trying to understand it, all these changes. Uh, this is what I know is being done right now. It's it's a lot that we still don't know. We're still learning from uh, thank that.
1: Thank you, Daniela, for joining us this afternoon. Uh, very, uh, it's a pleasure talking to you, and thank you very much for the information you've given us today.
4: Thank, you. Thank you for having me.
1: So that was uh, Daniela Granato de Souza. She um, obviously she's a she's an assistant professor of forest ecology at Alabama University, and of course she works with the uh, you know the dendrochronology of temperate and tropical forests. So um, she she has uh, given her point of view of what we can do about uh, uh, you know the current droughts which are coming to Amazon. We do have our our uh, next guest who is Christine. Hal Warson, if I'm pronouncing right, is a Rainforest Foundation U.S. program director. And he oversees Rainforest Foundation U.S. partnerships in Brazil, Guyana, and Panama and brings extensive expertise in institutional strengthening, land management planning, and titling policy and campaigning. Prior to joining RFUS in 1999, she was a director of America's uh, Amazon network. She has worked... On issues connecting the environment and social justice for nearly 30 years, both in the Amazon as well as locally in the New York City, where she serves on the board of ABC Norio, a cultural center in the Lower East Side, she holds a master's in anthropology from the new school for social uh, research so we welcome her to our uh, drive time show this afternoon as we are discussing the amazon droughts and what we can be uh, what can be done about it so uh, welcome uh, christian to join us uh, this afternoon
5: thank you and thank you for covering these complex issues
1: Uh, Thank, thanks for joining us, and I hope I hope that you will uh, you know enlighten us further um, on this topic. Can you provide us, our listeners, with an overview of the mission and work of Rainforest Foundation U.S., especially in the context of addressing environmental challenges in the Amazon?
5: Sure, and thank you again for having me, and for having all of us on today's show, and for your in-depth coverage. Um, So, Rainforest Foundation U.S. has been around for um, just over 30 years. Um, we have a dual mission of supporting, uh, the rights of, uh, and upholding rights of people as well as protecting the environment. And we focus mostly in the Amazon, but also in, uh, Central America, working always with peoples and local communities. Um, and we work, um, uh, focused mostly on three main pillars. One is land rights, and so recognition of indigenous people's uh, rights to their ter- uh, traditional lands. Um, the other one is territorial control and management. So uh, community-based forest monitoring, governance over territories, land management planning. And then the, the last uh, pillar of our work is capacity strengthening. So working at both the community and organizational level. To support the the strengthening of the capacities to uh, develop programs and projects, and to uh, support the traditional governance.
1: Can communities in the Amazon and around the world adopt to the changing climate? And what role does the Rainforest Foundation US play in the promoting uh, climate resilience?
5: Sure. So. You know, we really uh, work closely with local communities and indigenous organizations um, because we believe that they are at then, as some of your other guests have mentioned, they are at the front lines of this struggle. So supporting them, um, they know what they're doing. There's multiple uh, um, uh, research that is out that shows that indigenous peoples and local communities are really the key to protecting the forest. That's their traditional lands, that's their um, that's their homes. And so they have deep traditional knowledge of the environment and how it works. Um, They have knowledge of how to manage water, how to manage fire. Um, They have strong local institutions. um, And they're increasingly um, influencing policy. So supporting them um, via support for um, recognition of land rights, providing technology, providing support for doing land management. Um, institutional strengthening, developing policy. Those are all areas that we work on together with many other organizations.
1: And what legal framework exists or should be established to protect Amazon and prevent further depletion of natural resources? And how can these be enforced effectively?
5: So I think the key here is you know, both working at the local level um, with, uh, you know, local governance and local communities who are actively uh, working to and uh, striving to protect um, in their territories. Um, and then at the uh, regional and national level, um, you know, each country has their own legal framework. They need to be strengthened and they need to be followed. Um, and then on the international level, there are, you know, the Paris Agreement that came out of the climate uh, conferences. There's the commitments that were made in Glasgow to support um, forestry and forest efforts, as well as indigenous peoples. So it's that combination of building strong capacity at the local level, but also, um, you know, uh, having strong national laws um, that are followed and then the support of international frameworks and so it's that interplay between all of them and above all the participation of local communities
1: okay so just in in one last sentence looking ahead what is the rainforest foundation usa's long-term vision for the amazon and what steps can be taken to ensure the sustained health of these critical ecosystems
5: Sure. Well, here I just, you know, I think it's important to think about solutions. Um, you know, we've heard of several of the problems and issues and the the drought and all of the, the crises that we are living through, that the communities in the Amazon are living through. And so in terms of solution and vision for the future is one of an Amazon that is sustain- sustainably managed and protected, that indigenous peoples and local communities play a key role and that their land rights are respected um that there is increasing support for Indigenous communities. This has been growing, um, that there is further recognition of the role of Indigenous communities and more support, but there's still a long way to go. Um, so uh, establishing strong policies on both the national and international level um, and having some alternatives for sustainable development um, that is both sustainable um, environmentally and socially, culturally, et cetera. And then, you know, what your program is doing is, you know, building further awareness of what the issues are and the solutions that there are out there.
1: Yeah, of course. Awareness is very, very important. You know, it's only recently that people have um, tried uh, uh, to understand the, the uh, what are the dangers of this uh, climate change and and they they want to know more about it and that's what we are doing thank you very much for joining us this afternoon and i think it was very um uh, sort of informative for for everyone thank you for joining us again thank
5: you very much yep bye-bye
0: bye-bye so you were listening to uh christine and she has given insight um that uh, what's going on and what's uh, uh, his uh, you know us forest foundation is doing so we are going to end today's show i know we're running out of time we have much to discuss but as uh, the time permit at uh, the end i would like to say that uh, you know we should reflect the urgency of safeguarding our natural resources particularly the amazon rainforest. you know amidst the relentless assaults of climate change and human activities And let your voice be a beacon for change. Educate others about the Amazon's significance and advocate for its preservation. Together, let's support sustainable practices and elevate the voice of those who lack the means to protect their environment. As we bid farewell today, let's heed the call to action, working collectively towards a harmonious and thriving world for all, where the environment and humanity coexist in harmony. So please, we, this is the message for today. We have to save together. And yes, we can do it. So please join us after the news break. We'll discuss another topic in the next hour. assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings be upon you. all welcome once again here in Dive Time Show. You're listening to Anika Rahman. I'm joined by Dr. Tariq Bajwa here from the London Studio. We have discussed... Amazon drought in the first hour. Now we will be discussing another important topic. I think the topic which we'll be discussing in this hour particularly is the topic regarding spiritual advancement. A very important topic, how to connect with God Almighty and why it is important to study faith. For this, we'll be having some guests who will be giving some more insight, more depth to this topic and giving the answers. And hope you would learn from it. And this is the purpose of you know running the show today to understand why learning the faith is importance so on for this you can call us on zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight you can ask any question you like, you can share if you want to share something, and you know you can tweet as well at voice of islam u k moving back to the topic spiritual advancement tomorrow on eighteen january twenty twenty four in washington the international conference. On religion and religious studies is going to be held, and studying faith is, and indeed engaging in spiritual practices, can have profound effect on personal growth and well-being. The Holy Quran emphasizes the importance of, of, importance for Muslims to be actively involved in performing good deeds, and advancing in worship. God Almighty says in the Holy Quran, the we weigh then with one another, in good works." that help each other in good works. The concept of racing with each other in doing good reflects a dynamic and proactive approach to spiritual and moral growth. And engaging in this race of doing good deeds elevates the standards of individuals emphasizing the pursuit of excellence in one's action and conduct. The Holy Prophet of Islam, peace be upon him, said that, verily Allah does not look at your appearance or wealth but rather He looks at your hearts and actions. So the second caliph of Ahmadiyya Muslim community emphasized the pivotal role of a spiritual advancement, advancement in the progress of Muslims. So we would be discussing that so please join us for an enlightening discussion on this crucial topic which is the need of the time. And I think it's a need of every human being because we have created by God Almighty. And we have to learn God Almighty through faith, have a strong bond with God Almighty, which can only be learned through faith, even though we are doing, doing so many good deeds in our lives. But when we understand that there is a creator, we have responsibilities towards him. We have responsibilities towards human being. But if we say that we are fulfilling our responsibilities towards human being and we're fulfilling our you know, uh, exist, uh, purpose of, of our creation... We, it, this this is not the answer to the question because when we say there's a being who has created us who has given us everything, given us a life, and we are grateful, then we have to know and and have a more understanding how he wants to be approached by human being. So, what is the importance of uh, studying
1: faith? Why why is it important? Why? So, um, we can look at it, uh, you know, in details and what are the what are the different points? Why? Uh, One starts thinking, first of all, uh, if we talk about the personal development, um, exploring one's faith allows individuals to understand their values, beliefs, and purpose in life. This self-awareness contributes to personal development and a sense of identity. During uh, his Friday sermon on 9th of September 1927, um, which was delivered from Shimla, uh, Hazrat Muslim mouth, Muhammad Mr. Bashiruddin Mahmoud Ahmad may Allah be pleased with him he was the second caliph uh, of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and uh, in his friday sermon he shed light on the fact that the secret to one's progress lies not merely in the realm of worldly pursuits but in the realm of spiritual advancement he said often people are mistaken when they fail to differentiate between national and religious progress. As a result, they neglect the correct principle and consequently experience failure. The principles for national and religious progress are markedly distinct. Islam does not belong to a single nation, rather it is a religion that comprises various nations. If only the national principles are kept in mind, a Muslim can never progress since different nations have their own respective principles for their progress. For the progress of a nation it is essential to ponder over its circumstances, requirements, traditions, habits and environments. If these factors are ignored the nation regresses instead of progress. However, once these factors are pondered over a correct pathway is paved which leads them to progress Um, and a correct pathway is paved which leads them to progress. So this is, this is about the personal development, how one can get involved into studying his own. Um, basically, the faith is a way of life and how and which one do you choose? Why do you choose it? It's your choice, but obviously it, it leads to the personal development of a person. Again, talking about moral and ethical framework, many faith traditions provide a moral and ethical framework that guides individuals in making ethical decisions. Studying faith can help develop a strong moral compass and a sense of responsibility towards others. The head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the, or the founder uh, who is the promised Messiah and Imam Mahdi, on whom be peace, Hazrat Mizza Ghulam he said that morals are to place one brick over another. If one brick is uh, misaligned, the entire wall shall be crooked. When the builder lays crooked the very first brick the wall will remain crooked even if it reaches heaven. One ought to pay close attention to these matters. I have seen many men and analyze them closely to find that some are generous but are also prone to anger and they are easily irritated. There are some who show forbearance but they are also miserly, there are some who are so bold that they will wound a person, striking them with bats in a state of anger and fury, but have no traces of humility and modesty in them. Then I have observed some who are humble and modest to the utmost extent, but are bereft of the quality of bravery, to the extent that they become petrified by even hearing about plague or cholera. I do not say that those who suffer a lack of bravery are devoid of faith. There were some from among the companions of the Holy Prophet, on who, uh, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, who did not have the strength and courage for battle. The Messenger of Allah, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, would consider them excused. All people neither possess every moral quality, nor are they completely deprived either. So that has been taken from the sayings of the uh, Holy Founder of the Ahmadi Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, the Promised Messiah. And imam mahdi was his title so so he he's obviously he has given a, a detailed information about um, that you know how how we can look at it that various people they have their own qualities they they and they they have their own shortcomings not everybody can cover everything but at least if you look at these things and try to develop the morality then that that would help to um, to progress in developing your personality so I understand we have our first guest who is uh, yes. our imam of the Muslim community, Imam Zafir Malik, and we'll be speaking to him. Welcome, Imam Zafir. Um, thank you for joining us this afternoon.
6: Yes. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. for having me.
1: JazakAllah for joining us, and uh, I hope that you can shed some light on our uh, very interesting topic of spiritual development. Uh, and uh, my first question to you is, uh, can you explain how Islamic teachings highlight the significance of studying faith for spiritual growth?
6: Uh, I guess this is an important question because um, essentially Islam uh, came for, for two purposes, to reform uh, man's morals, uh, mm-hmm. to take them to the highest level possible, and to also develop that spiritual connection between man and God. And the Holy Prophet was obviously the best example who, who put his... Uh, words into practice for the people to see and um, in terms of uh, st- uh, studying faith for your spiritual growth it's, it's essential and we find that throughout the Holy Quran so in the Holy Quran there's a very short prayer which is taught to us and it's uh, one that everyone can learn easily it's uh, Rabbi Zidni Ilma that oh Allah increase me in knowledge so it, it, it's a very short prayer but it's something that can be learned and if you study the Sayings of the Holy Prophet, um, the amount of importance and emphasis he's laid upon attaining knowledge um, is that in one tradition he states that um, attaining knowledge is incumbent upon every Muslim man and woman. So if you if you think about this, this, is this is the Holy Prophet saying this almost 1400 years ago was pioneering because it's it's a time when um, knowledge or uh, education was perhaps not as it wasn't as commonly available as it is today, but especially not for women. Uh, we can see in the past, um, you know, 100, 200 years, 300 years that you know more and more women have been allowed into universities. There was a time when you know, women weren't even allowed into universities. But the Holy Prophet's uh, example and, and his command was that men and women, Muslim men and women, should attain knowledge because it's, it's through that they can understand better understand their faith. And then better understand what God Almighty wants of a, of a believer. And another verse which is really important in terms of seeking religious knowledge is, um, found in chapter nine, Surah Tawbah. And it's, and God Almighty states, states that why then does not a party from every section of the believers go forth that they may become well versed in religion and that they may warn their people when they return to them. So, and then so that they may guard against evil. So, Essentially, learning about um, your religion, learning about your faith, is so that you can protect yourself from the evils of society, from the evils around you. And if if not everyone can 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 do that, then the Holy Quran instructs that at least a section of society should be dedicated for this. And in fact, we can see this even in in other religions, right? We see that in that there, there's monks, Buddhist monks, there's you know Christian. Um, priests and nuns who devote their lives to studying the faith. So it's not something which is um, unique to Islam. In fact, studying religion and studying um, about spirituality is something that all prophets brought. So it's that yearning, it's like, it's that yearning for the soul to to meet with the Creator.
1: So you mentioned about uh, the Holy Quran. and uh, So how does the study of the Quran contribute to spiritual development in Islam? And are there recommended practices for engaging with the Quran?
6: Yes, it's a a good question there. Um, I mean, the Holy Quran um, is is the basis of the Islamic teaching. So everything that you find in the Quran uh, is a guidance. And there's over 700 commands mentioned um, within the Quran. But one I just want to to mention is found in chapter 8, verse 25, where God Almighty states that Um, O you who believe, so speaking to all the believers, respond to Allah and the Messenger when he calls you that he may give you life. And know that Allah comes in between man and his heart and that it is unto him whom you shall be gathered. So it means that where God Almighty says that the Messenger of Allah calls you to that which will give you life. So essentially what the teachings of Islam and what what the the Qur'an is, it, it gives you spiritual life. This uh, to to uh, make an analogy here, it's um, even found in, in in the Quran where, the, according to the Ahmadiyya perspective, Jesus brought the dead to life. Now, in in uh, other Muslims uh, believe that he physically resurrected the dead, but the Ahmadiyya interpretation is that he gave life to those spiritual life to those people who were uh, who were spiritually dead, and brought together a community, and that's exactly what the Holy Prophet. Sallallahu Wasallam did. He brought life to a uh, an area which was um, rampant with evil, rampant with um, different sorts of vices, and almost overnight brought a revolution which we see until this very day. So, and uh, that spread all around the world. So that's um, in a nutshell what the Holy Prophet taught about the Holy Quran.
1: So. Are there specific educational programs within the Muslim community focused on the study of faith for personal development?
6: Yes. I can only mention about the Ahmadiyya community. And um, there are several um, um, institutions and organizations within the Ahmadiyya community which help to facilitate this uh, personal development. Um, Each person is part of an auxiliary organization, whether they are... um, uh, men, women, young boys, young girls uh, older women, older men, each person is assigned into a uh, a auxiliary organization uh, according to their age and according to their temperament so they in within their groups, they learn um, not only about um, uh, secular topics but they learn about um, the basics of faith and they are taught at every level so within the community we have within the boys we have which is um, for the children which are aged between 7 to 14 and they learn um, basic um, things about Islam, basic etiquettes, basic um, knowledge and then when they grow older between the age of 15 and 40, they have their other activities they, they you know, engage in um, um, take a deeper uh, dive into their faith, they get together for um, rallies they get together for um, sports competitions, for get-togethers, um, then there's an organization above that which is called Ansarullah, which is for the men above the age of 40. And again, they have their own activities according to their needs. So, And this is replicated across um, to the women's side, and they have their own separate organizations. Each of them uh, is headed by a elected um, office bearer. So, And they are responsible for that entire country. And this um, same template is replicated within each country where the Ahmadiyya community is founded.
1: What's the role of, like, Fridays? You know, you have a Friday uh, prayers, and that's every week, and then you have a, a special sermon delivered as well, and that's for for the you know all the Muslims. That is obligatory as well. Is that to do with the uh, with the education uh, of the of the people of the community? Uh,
6: sorry, the Friday prayer.
1: Yeah, the Friday prayers, Friday sermons, which are held regularly, and that is obligatory as well for to attend.
6: Yes. So the Friday prayer, of course, is mentioned uh, even in Surah al uh in the Holy Quran, and it's, it clearly states and is a commandment that when the prayer of the the Friday call is prayer of call is called, you must go to the to the prayer. So it is essential upon every um, believing man and woman who it is obligatory upon. But the Friday prayer that essentially is a uh, it, it, it is a sort of reminder each week to the Muslim community about their roles and responsibilities because of course every day people are in, uh, busy in their own lives so it, it's an order for God Almighty individually to come together as a community on their local levels each day for their prayers and then each Friday uh, prayer they gather together in, in the larger mosque as it as it is traditionally and that is for to give um, you know guidance to the Muslim community at large and remind them of, of their responsibilities. The Ahmadiyya community is very fortunate that wherever um, it is found across 210 countries in the world, the head of the Ahmadiyya community, His Holiness, Azad Mirza Masroor Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, delivers a sermon each week and imparts guidance each week to the entire community, to the entire world at large, actually. And... Um, Ahmadis from around the world can tune in and listen to to their imam and uh, um, act according to his instructions.
1: Of course, uh, Islam often emphasizes the practical application of faith in daily life. How does the study of faith translate into practical actions and behaviors that contribute to spiritual development for Muslims?
6: It's a very important um, uh, part of Islam to practice what you preach. And and the opposite of not practicing what you preach is something which is abhorred by Islam. In fact, it it admonishes that, um, in the Holy Quran, it clearly states that, why do you do that? Why do you say that which you do not do? So it's a command of God Almighty that, don't do something and act upon, you know, act contrary to what you're, you're saying. And that's the actual definition and the characteristic of hypocrites, um, which is mentioned right in the beginning of the Holy Quran. So practicing what you preach is a fundamental pillar of Islam. In fact, the very first um, hadith of Sahih al-Bukhari is that the deeds will be judged by motives. So a person um, not only should um, practice what he preaches, but he should also look at how to Uh, act on the guidance of the Holy Quran um, in his practical terms. The the founder of the Ahmadiyya community explained um, what faith is. Uh, It's a beautiful example he gives um, like that of trees and gardens and rivers. And in fact, it's that to irrigate all of that, it are those good deeds. So the good deeds that a person does, it adds and enhances the beautiful tree of, of faith. So that is why it's important to Um, not only speak about good things, it's about what one does as well.
1: Okay, one last question before you go. Um, How does the Muslim community encourage the study of faith and what role does communal uh, engagement play in fostering spiritual advancement?
6: It's a very, um, in terms of internal um, uh, programs that there are, the Ahmadi community runs as I mentioned earlier. Each person is assigned into their relevant age categories. And in those um, auxiliary organizations, they um, get together, um, get together to increase their knowledge, to increase their secular knowledge, to uh, build friendships, uh, which will help them in in life. And um, uh, as I mentioned, it's all catered for uh, every person's age group. Um, In terms of that's the in, in, in one internal aspect of uh, increasing one's knowledge or getting together, but the external aspect is that the Ahmadiyya community gets together for outreach work to show the true teachings of Islam in this in this world, and that is why the, the founder of the Ahmadiyya community, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, we believe to be a Promised Messiah, uh, came to this world to to educate the, the people about what the true teachings were, and that is something which uh, is highlighted by or you know, is personified by the Imam of the Amdi community who goes around worldwide speaking to leaders of the world, warning them um, about the impending dangers of not only the World War, but the, the dire situation of the world, and uses the Quranic teachings, the Quranic verses, and the example of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, to actually um, enlighten them of what the solution is to peace. So these are the, some of the, the activities that we hold.
0: Great,
1: thank you very much uh, Imam Zafir Malik for joining us this afternoon. Uh, It was a pleasure talking to you and I hope that our listeners have benefited out of that as well. Thank you. So that was uh, Imam Zafir Malik who is one of our Imams, uh, our missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and he was talking to us about how and what we can do to develop for ourselves personally by educating ourselves, getting more knowledge of faith, studying, and I think the the best thing w- to offer to the ho- to the world at this time, um, uh, this period of time, is the writings of the the, the holy founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam of Khadiyan. He has written over eighty books, and they are also they are in Urdu, they are in Arabic, they are in Persian. They all and and. They are actually the um, detailed interpretations of the verses of the Holy Quran, of the traditions of the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him. And one can get any kind of knowledge out of that. All you need is, and we have very easy access. You can just go on to alislam.org and you can have uh, access to them. You can read them, you can hear them, you can listen to them or, you know, wherever while you're, working so i think that this is the treasure which uh, we are the we we are making people aware and he has given time and again he said that these are the treasures i've come to distribute and i have come to, i've come to connect human beings to god and if one wants to have an insight into it one needs to read them i think that is if anything we can give one message that is a message but please do read and uh, in, inquire about the
0: books of the, the Prophet Messiah, the holy founder of the Ahmadi Muslim community. Uh, indeed, Lord Tariq Now we're going to go to our next guest, Nusrat Kadir, who's with us, neonatal nurse, uh, ICU nurse working at the bedside since 1995 in New York, USA. I welcome her in the show. alaikum, peace be upon you. And thank you much for joining us today.
7: Wa alaikum, salam Thank you so much, Jazak for having me.
0: The start of uh, uh, to, with question uh, as we are discussing <clears throat> how why the faith is important. Could you please share that? how do you believe studying faith contributes to the emotional well being of families?
7: Uh, so I I mean faith is especially in the hospital care setting especially in an ICU where uh-huh. you are either there in hopes for Allah to save your babies. This is the most key in terms of uh, my my area of expertise. And faith is what allows anyone's stability to endure because the average length of stay in my unit is 100 days. So this Mm -hmm. is not going to to hospital for a few days. This is 100 days of patience required and faith so necessary to sustain you.
0: So can you share a specific moment from your spiritual journey that significantly impacted you uh, that how you should approach and address the emotional and spiritual needs for those under your care?
7: I um it's very hard after mashallah, so many years of Alamia letting me be at this profession to narrow down one specific moment. Hmm.
8: But I will
7: say that what did inspire me was learning from even MTA. Um, and trying to get your faith, where where are areas that you learn? And I think daily listening to MTA has really helped me. I actually listen to MTA while I'm getting ready for work. I always find some inspiration from MTA Mm. in starting my uh, work. But one thing that I did learn was that at uh, the hospital in Drabois, there's prayers that are said beforehand, before starting your shift, for the uh, medical team there. And that has helped me greatly in just having that submission to Allah when I walk in, no knowledge have we except what thou has taught us. Allah is the healer and all-knowing. That right there, Allah is the healer and the all-knowing. By saying this and reciting this prior to entering the hospital and to the unit, every shift I'm working, it humbles you to realize there's nothing in your hands, and this is solely in the direction of Allah subhanahu Wa ta'ala, and we are simply trying in His direction to do His work. So I have found that that helps me in also being humbled to hear what is coming to me from the families of the infants that I'm taking care of. You stop and you listen and you don't hold on to your thoughts and beliefs so much as you submit to the will of Allah to listen to others and take upon what's happening in a very humble heart. And people have found that when you listen to them and you fully hear them, that they find comfort in that. And then in that, you are representing Allah by doing so.
0: Indeed, indeed, very much right. So, you know, reflecting on your own spiritual development, how has it shaped your collaborative efforts with colleagues to address the spiritual aspects of patient care within the healthcare environment?
8: Uh, I I think for
7: for me, being a hijabi at work, the faith is so part and parcel to who you are. People see you right away, mm. and they know that you must be a practicing person of faith. I will say that I I do don the hijab, and in my opinion, I look Muslim, but there have been members of the Jewish community who have seen me and have asked me, are you Jewish?
4: Mm -hmm.
7: Because I understood their faith when it's their child, I'm, I'm speaking to the understanding of their faith, and they've asked, are you Jewish? And my coworkers in the room are looking and saying, well, why would they confuse her to be Jewish when she visibly looks Muslim to us? And I say, it's because if you respect faith, sometimes people see that you're part of their faith Mm -hmm. right away. So I have found that um, by visibly looking Muslim, people right away will ask you about Islam. Uh, Families on my unit that are Muslim, they see right away, this is a Muslim nurse, and and they can come to me and ask for prayers, um, and specifically asking for this. Uh, there are my coworkers. They all know that okay, nurse is coming to work. She's going to need time to say her and observe her salat. So they say nurse, hey, we will cover your patient so you can go say your prayers. But they also know that if there's something on the unit that involves praying for, regardless if the baby is Muslim or otherwise from their family, they'll ask me to say nurse, can you please pray for this baby? Or nurse, can you please pray we have a good night? Uh, A lot of engagement just on visibly by saying to people, I am Muslim and I have to pray. Or if they look at you and they know that you're Muslim. So I think that for women who observe hijab, we have a real bonus in people knowing right away we're Muslim. And then the other bonus is in sharing that my break time, I must go to observe my prayers. And people know right away there's a connection that you have. When you bring this faith to work, Right away, people are able to engage with you as well as the families and the, the colleagues. So I've had instances where um, things are not going as we hope um, and as we've prayed for. And I think in that regard, uh, people right away are asking me to come to the bedside to pray when a baby is in the... It, it doesn't seem like there's much more time left for that family and that baby to be together. So I think... um In terms of this area, knowing and studying, and I I will be very honest with you, I carry a dua book, and now on our phone we have access to our dua books, and I'm able to look up prayers right away suitable to the situation. I have also collected some prayers from our um, books um, and from the Jamaat books. And I've put them on one page and I cut them out. I make uh, photocopies of them and I cut them out and I put them at the bedside for the families to recite for their babies. So I think this type of engagement is
0: very helpful.
7: And I hope I've answered the question that you've asked.
0: Yes, you're very much right, I think. It's very important to read those prayers, the pra- prayers has been done by the prophets. And th- those are the words which, you know, God have heard and we believe that He still listens and He l- is listening to us if we're praying the same way. Moving on and, you know, carrying on the same, um, uh, you know, the question, you know, working with diverse individuals, how do you approach discussions about faith and spirituality to ensure sensitivity to different cultural backgrounds with your colleagues or, you know, other people around you?
7: I think that our Jamaat has been very wonderful in helping us understand what is the essence of bleak is that you find the common thread between all of us. And in doing that respectfully, finding people who have a common thread of understanding um, and, 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 and working in that direction specifically. So as I mentioned, someone from the Jewish faith, Right away they look at me and sometimes they say, oh, you know, you're Muslim. Oh, we are cousins. We are, we are also followers of Prophet Ibrahim. And right away they're making this connection with you. So I think when you have a good understanding of finding the commonalities between faiths and beliefs and practices and goodness, I think that always helps people connect right away. And there's a level of respect. So, the beauty of Islam is that we have such an understanding of the faiths before us, and for life for people who don't have faith, and how you can bring them towards faith. And when you use the, those words and those terminologies to say, "Okay, yes," you know, let's talk about um, Prophet Moses. Let's let's talk about his prayers, and um, really trying to get people to connect with you on that level. I think that it 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 gives a level of respect right away to somebody but also at the same time a level of connection and that is something we are all seeking whether it's connection with one another but more importantly the connection to Allah and I think if we can be an instrument in that process that's really very comforting to many people
0: alhamdulillah indeed you are much right just to end of uh, today's uh, discussion, how do you uh, collaborate with colleagues to collectively address the spiritual aspects of patient care in a healthcare environment?
7: So for us, um, I the chaplains that do, are assigned to the hospital and to the unit, I work night shifts. So they tend to be available, but not always, especially in times of circumstances that you cannot control. And so we, many of us as nurses, depending of faith, um, tend to be the first responders to a to a spiritual crisis, so to speak, um, a situation that's happening where you would need someone. So there's an understanding on my unit that should a family be from the Muslim faith, they will uh, seek me out quickly. Um, uh, even prior if they know that there's a situation happening on the unit. And they'll ask me and they'll say, could you be available for this family? I said, absolutely. Um, So there was an incident where we did have overnight a baby that passed away. And I had the mother was uh, present Muslim being there, going and supporting her, but then also helping my coworkers understand that right now we, there, there might be ways that the mother would want to say a few things, the way she would want to perhaps wash her baby, clean her baby, do things with her baby. So helping that bridge and of understanding and respect for the mother at that time, um, reciting whatever verses of prayers that would be helpful to her. Um, my coworkers can trust in that and trying to even empower my coworkers to be a part of it by educating them on some understandings and rituals. And I do recall, like, with this particular case, the uh, chaplain who came was not of Muslim faith, but was of faith and came, and he began to put his hand as a gesture of comfort on the mother, and I immediately looked at him and and signaled, no, um, a Muslim woman would not want you to touch her at a time like this. She would not seek that. So asking him, you know, just looking at him and giving him the signal to to remove your hand, to not touch her at this time, and then that would be reserved for other females or for her husband. So these these type of teaching moments happen in the moment that the situation is happening as well as beforehand, and from that, the nurses learned that, we should tell them, the, the male colleagues not to reach out and touch a woman um, at a time like that, especially an observing Muslim woman, that this would not be an appropriate time, meaning well, but not an appropriate time to do that. So the conversations are happening sometimes in real time, but also we try to plan in advance for what we can do better to help a family in need.
0: Uh, thank you very much, uh, Nusad Kadir. I think you're doing a great work and helping people. And indeed, you know, the the prayers of powers uh, are their listens to us. And uh, I hope whatever effort you put in your work, may Allah bless all those. And uh, at the end, I would like to thank you for joining us today. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Have a nice evening. Ameen.
7: Jazakum Allah. Salamu alaykum
0: wa rahmatullah. Wa rahmatullah. So you were listening to Nusrat Kadir, a neonatal ICU nurse working at the Bedside since 1995 in New York, USA. Now we're going to go to our uh, last guest of uh, today's show. Huda Mahmood is with us, undergraduate student of psychology from New York, USA. I welcome her in the show. Assalamu Alaikum, peace be upon you, and thank you very much for joining us today.
8: As-salamu wa rahmatullah. JazakAllah for having me.
0: Thank you for joining today. Uh, to start off with that, can you share your personal experiences, how the study of faith has shaped your own spiritual journey and personal growth?
8: Um, so a lot of my teenage years were spent pretty distant from faith, especially in my earlier teenage years because of a lot of ignorance that I had. I think especially with my generation, we ask a lot of questions, and when we don't receive answers, we negatively respond and tend to distance ourselves. And so as a result of that, I had a lot of lack of purpose in my life, and towards the development of that stage of my life, towards the end of it, was actually when Huzoor gave a khutbah on the Nine Martyrs of Burkina also, and my brother had played this khutbah in the car. And as I listened to this khutbah, and I listened to what these martyrs had said and done in the face of persecution, and in the face of death, all I could think was what could have inspired such certainty in Ahma in the face of death. And I figured that it would be worth looking into, considering how much resolve that they had, and it really moved my heart. So from childhood, my father had the tendency of sitting us down and talking to us about faith. And it was shortly after this khutbah that my father had done this. He had sat me down and talked to me, And he had also noticed that I was pretty distant from faith at this time, and I had been for a while. And one piece of advice that he gave that really stuck with me was to increase my religious knowledge as I increased my academic knowledge. And so I had the the passion from the khutbah, and I had the practical advice, the path that I could take as a remedy to this confusion, this confusion that I was feeling. And so I gained both drive and practical advice, and I took it to action. And so I, I asked my brother for a book recommendation. He told me to read al Bahi, the philosophy of divine revelation by the Prophet Messiah, alayhi salam. And the first 100 pages of this book are very emotion driven. They appeal to my desire to be emotionally appealed to Ahmadiyyat. And then followed by these 100 pages are hundreds of signs in favor of the promised Messiah, from Lake Ram to Batalwi to the eclipses to Dawi. All of these things satiated the questions that I had in my brain of the truthfulness of the promised Messiah, And so following... Reading Hakikatul Zahi, I did not want my journey in gaining religious knowledge to end, of course. I only wanted to know more. And so my father's advice to study faith as I studied in university translated into me trying to study the commentary of the Qur'an, try to study khutbas and question and answer sessions with Hazrat Khalif <laughs> al and the books of the Promised Messiah, and the books of Hazrat Muslim Maud, and write flashcards and take notes as I would for my academics. And so I began to develop the certainty in the Promised Messiah, alayhi And with certainty in the Promised Messiah, Al-Islam, came certainty in Allah the Almighty. And I realized that I was the happiest when I acted on the commandments Of Allah the Almighty and I was happiest when I was making Allah the Almighty happy and this fulfilled the sense of purpose that I was lacking when I was distant from faith.
0: Amazing to hear that uh, Huda. Uh, I think the listeners are listening today uh, this is never too late Uh, you know the thing we need to do is to to study uh, faith as we are studying, uh, you know, in in our uh, worldly, uh, you know, learnings, we are doing. We're going to university, we're going to school. Similarly, we have to gain knowledge about faith. without moving on, how do you navigate the intricate relationship between psychology and the study of faith, and how do you believe it contributes to promoting spiritual advancement?
8: So, for a while, I didn't know what I wanted to study. Actually, throughout high school,
0: mm-hmm. and
8: in First year of university, I had no idea that I wanted to study psychology. And I did have a little bit of interest in it, but I didn't really have that certainty that I wanted to go down this path in my life. So, Alhamdulillah, I got a chance to have a mulakat with Hazrat Khalifa al may Allah be his helper, last summer. And I told Hazur my interest. And I asked him for guidance on what I should study, and Hazur graciously chose psychology for me. And it was only after I had had more certainty in Allah the Almighty and I had developed my love for him that I gained this interest in psychology. It was actually between astronomy and psychology that I had most of my debating. And the commonality between these two that I believe drew me towards them was the infinitude of both of them. That the human mind and the universe are both so infinite when they differ so much in size. And the infinite amount of possibilities between both the universe and the mind continuously and to this day bring me so much awe in the majesty of God. And ultimately, Huzur chose psychology for me, alhamdulillah. Psychology is very human-based. It's based You can't prove things in psychology with the scientific method the way that you can in harder sciences, for example, chemistry and biology. And I feel that this is the case in psychology because human beings have a lot of difficulty in defining who we are. And so because of that difficulty that we have, the lack of knowledge that we have, I think that more answers in psychology tend to lead to even more questions. This uh, this tendency reminds me of the saying that the paper boat of philosophy can never take one to the shores of certainty. And of course, philosophy and psychology are very different things, but the sentiment is very similar mm-hmm. that we can never be certain in the deliberations that we have. In psychology, it's very rare that you will meet a definitive and highly agreed upon answer the way that you would in faith. And Mm -hmm. so studying faith alongside psychology gave gave me certainty in the author of the Quran who 1,400 years ago gave us answers to all of the questions that still plague us today about ourselves.
0: Right, right, indeed. Uh, at last, uh, can you please uh, just cover this uh, question in two minutes. We're running out of time. We're finishing uh, within a few minutes. Could you highlight any psychological theories or concepts that stand out to you, emphasizing the significance of studying faith for personal development uh, and spiritual growth?
8: So in psychology, there's a theory called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, and the base of, it's a pyramid, essentially. The base of this pyramid is our physiological needs. So we must fulfill our physio, physiological needs first, including water, food, air, sleep. Once we've fulfilled our physiological needs, we can move on to then safety. And then once we've fulfilled safety, it's then love and belonging, and then esteem. And then the pinnacle of this py- this pyramid, the very last stage of human development of our needs is called the self-actualization need. And Maslow des- defines this as the desire to become the most that one can be. There is no end to self-actualization, which is why it's at the end of this period. There's nothing that can come above it because you can endlessly improve and become the best that you can be. And the criticism for this is that there's no clear-cut definition on what it is and how to achieve it. And so on to uh, develop on this, there's also a model called Fowler's Model of Faith Development. And Fowler defines faith as, uh, as how humans make meaning in life. And he has six stages. The first few stages are pretty much following throughout childhood to adolescence. And then stage three is called the synthetic conventional stage, which occurs during adolescence. And this is absolute acceptance of of what we are taught as children. And then after this is the young adult stage, where we critically examine and reflect on our beliefs. And this is what I believe is parallel to studying your faith. Mm -hmm. And then the end of this process is stage six, which is universalizing faith. And this is rare to achieve, and it is defined as living to serve others indiscriminately without any worry or doubt. So without worry or doubt, I I uh, interpret this as peace of mind. And peace is integral to Islam, and finding peace and serving is also integral to Islam. We must serve humankind. And so what I think about self-actualization is, what more could be the pinnacle of personal development and spiritual growth than peace of mind in serving mankind?
0: Indeed, you are very much right, uh, Hudab, Thank you very much for joining us today. I hope our listeners have benefited uh, from today's talk and uh, and they have uh, you know learned that there's uh, God can uh, you know help. He's there for help for everyone. What we need to do, we need to search for Him. And uh, thank you for giving some insight. Uh, this psychology perspective, and you know, uh, to to have both worlds, how do you understand? And thank you very much once again for joining us today. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Have a nice evening.
8: You.
0: So you were listening to Huda Mahmood, who joined us from USA, and has, she has she has uh, you know shared the incident how she came more near to God Almighty, and she discussed about psychology the. Uh, Intricate relationship between psychology and the study of faith. Now we are heading towards the end of today's show. We have discussed this topic, very, very important topic, that why faith is important to learn. The (coughs) second khalif of Ahmadiyya Muslim Association, Hazrat Muslim Aoud, Mizabashiruddin Bashiruddin Mahmood Ahmad, has stated that it is essential for us to set a high objective for our lives and that is for us to become the true servants of Allah the Almighty meaning that just like the attributes of God Almighty are manifested for everyone, we are also obliged to do the same and serve for the whole world's betterment and prove to be beneficial for all people. May Allah the Almighty enable us to inculcate His attributes within ourselves and then utilize them for the world's benefit. So may Allah enable us to do so. At the end, I would like to thank the technical team who's working behind the scenes and producers for today's show, who have have created the, the script, Manahil Khalid, Mub- Mutabashra Ahmed and Farah Mirza. Uh, well, I thank all of them and I uh, thank all the listeners who are with us and who have listened to today's show. I hope you have learned something new, you had more insight about the Amazon forest and secondly, in the second hour as we discussed the importance of faith, you have learned how important the faith is and we need to understand that god is here and he listens to us what we need to do we have to search for him we have to act as he has desired as we are learning our worldly knowledge and it's very important for us to learn about God almighty it's not easy that we say that we can learn without doing anything the effort we are putting into into, into just to learn worldly knowledge is very important to put the same effort even more than that to search for allah the almighty and learn about faith because faith is a thing which you know connects to god almighty which brings us near to god almighty and tell us what is the path which leads to allah the almighty so may allah enable us to do so and may allah enable us to benefit from the guideline which god has provided from the through the holy quran and through the saying of the holy prophet peace be upon him and through the advice of the promised Messiah wasalam, may enable us to do so. Until next time, Assalamu Alaikum, peace be upon you.